This is the day the Lord has made. Amen. The sermon for this last Sunday, this final Sunday in the church year, is according to St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Like I was saying earlier in this Gospel lesson, it is a very end-of-the-year kind of lesson, because it tells us a truth that's, by the way, it's true all year. We just wait until the end of the year to drop it on you. We talk about the virgins and the parables and the showing up and the trying to borrow oil and all this. The virgins in the parable are the keepers of the bridal chamber. They have a very important role. They love the bride and desire for her to be happy, so they eagerly want the bridegroom to come on the wedding night, and they are diligently waiting for him so they can accompany him to the bride. Loving the bridegroom means loving the bride, and vice versa. The bridegroom, indeed, as he has said himself, is Christ, our Lord. The bride is the holy church, cleansed by her Lord. The wedding night is the final culmination when the Lord will take his people home to the new heaven and the new earth. If we love the bride, the church, We desire for Christ to return and remove us from all pain and all suffering and, yes, even death. We want all persecution to end and the eternal wedding feast to begin. We love the bridegroom. We do not want to miss his coming for anything in the world. We simply must be found ready so that we can share in the joy of this great day. So we take extra care to make sure that we are ready. So how do we prepare? There's a hint if you skip to the end. Those who were not prepared... The bridegroom says, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And contrary, those who are well prepared are those whom he does know, and those who in turn know him. The wise virgins are those who love the bridegroom and make a great effort to be known by him. They eagerly cultivate a relationship with him. In the end, he will declare that he knows them. The foolish virgins may have had a superficial love for the bridegroom. They thought that they had a relationship with him, but in the end, their love was not true. They did not get to know or be known by him. Perhaps they had a false image in their mind of who the bridegroom is. Perhaps they built up what they thought was a real relationship. But it was not, as we see in the text. A true relationship is not found merely in feelings, but in concrete ways. The bridegroom declared his relationship to you in baptism. 
He created the relationship in the first place. He set up the standards. You do not either create or maintain the relationship. But there are some things you do if you want to destroy a relationship. Am I right? If that is what you want, then by all means, avoid the things Christ has given you. Avoid things like the Lord's Supper. Eating with someone can be a sign of friendship. Actively avoiding eating with somebody is a sign that you are trying to damage and end a relationship. So do not actively avoid the Lord's Supper. Eagerly desire to eat with the bridegroom. Be in his house where he promises to meet you. We also get to know the bridegroom, as I say, in his word. We get to know him when we pay attention to his voice. He wants to speak many things to you. But if we do not have much time for him, we limit how much we know him and are known by him. Now, I'm not saying wait to hear voices in your head. I am literally saying that in his word, as your elder and myself read to you today, is him speaking directly to you. In the language of the parable, a wise virgin does not limit how much oil is in the lamp. It should be full, always, with more to spare. This does not only mean enough oil for the time being, but enough to spare for later. Do you remember what the the parable said? They had the lamps and what else? Flasks of oil. They weren't lighting the flasks on fire. They were saving it for later. So let us be clear here. The oil that makes us ready to meet the bridegroom is indeed, Ephesians 2.8, or faith. Nothing else receives the benefits of Christ to let us enter into his eternal wedding feast. Not your works, not your efforts, not your strength and reason, but faith. Nothing else receives the benefits. That faith will also produce in you good works. Although they do not earn salvation for us, a vigorous living faith will include good works. Now, if you had been in Bible study with us last week and this week, which happens every Sunday at, you would know that we were all over this, like frosting on a birthday cake. That the good works, that the, word, the law of God is something that is good, that we love to hear it, that we love to try to keep it. Even Luther's going, do your best. Because it's good. Not because it saves you, because it's good. The devil would prefer to tip over your lamp and pour it out. He would just love to just... But he does something that's even better for him, and it's craftier. Rather than just kick it over, he pokes little pinholes in it. Likes to let it leak out slow. And it's so subtle, he drains it little by little. You might not even notice 
A little less Bible study, a little less worship now and then won't kill you, right? But soon it is a lot more of the word being missed. Your oil starts running low. Faith cannot thrive when Satan has convinced you that the word is unimportant. Oh, you will probably never say that the word is unimportant. I don't think I've actually ever heard a Lutheran say that to me. Only show it to me. But gradually you will learn to treat the voice of the bridegroom as if you did not need it. Many have wicks that are smoldering and almost out. As for you, guard yourself. See that you fill up with as much word and faith and Christ as you can. Settling for enough is what the foolish virgins did. They said, well, I filled up my lamp. That should be fine. Those are the people that see the gas light turn on and go, I'm just leaving North Bend. We can make it to Eugene. No. You'll be calling me to get gas. You think you have a certain amount of time and that you could worry about it later. Be sure that you're ready now, just as a practical caution. Also remember this. As we saw in the gospel lesson, we cannot get oil from other people. The foolish virgins tried to borrow from the wise virgins when their lamps ran out of oil. In the, in the Bible study today, we talked about people trying to find faith in things that are apart from Christ, and it doesn't work. It just leads to despair. No matter how much actual gold is woven into my vestments, you will not be closer to Christ. No matter how big and glorious our church is, that isn't what brings you closer to Christ. No matter how much of you who are not actually in any cloisters, but were in them, you would not be closer to Christ than, as Luther says, a mother taking care of her child. So we see a lot of things that we think are one thing, but they're not. We can't get oil from other people. The foolish virgins trying to borrow it was the example of that. But they said, no, can't give you that. It's not something I can give you. Go out of here. Get some yourself. Because somebody else's faith can't save you. I still remember it, being in Anchorage, picking up somebody who was in need. And, and we were driving, and, and um, he said, oh, well, where are you a pastor? And I said, over there at Zion Lutheran Church. He goes, oh, you're a Lutheran? Yeah, me too. And I go, really? I've been there several years. I've never actually seen you. Well, my grandpa used to go there. And I'm going, so your grandpa's a Christian? <laughs> yeah, but see, they went every Sunday. Good for them. I like your grandpa. <laughs> he sounds like the kind of guy I'd like to see at church. I said, but we don't grandfather in Lutheranism, just so you know. Literally, he was grandfathering it. And I said, no, that's a place for you to be, because there is good news that you need to hear, good news that your grandfather, I'm certain, took a great deal of comfort in, because it turns out he had passed away. He took a great deal of comfort in, because the gospel was preached to him, and I'm glad to know that you know that he went there. 
But I want you to go there so that you can get all that good stuff. Because again, faith is not loaned, it is not borrowed, it is not grandfathered in. But it seems obvious, yet we can still find ourselves trying to borrow faith from others. We may think, well, I like that pastor, so-and-so. He has such a strong faith, I go to his church, or he's really interesting. I will have faith and be saved too. Or we might say, I'm going to church just like my granddad did, as I told you before. Or I should go to the church like my granddad did. He went there and he loved it. I'm Lutheran by proxy. (laughs) But it is your presence in church is where you hear the good things. Try and go and get an antibiotic by saying, well, my grandma went to the pharmacist once. That doesn't work. I can't find a situation where that works. But our preparation for the coming of the bridegroom takes the discipline. It takes the discipline. It takes repentance, humility, carrying one's cross. This is hard work. And it is much easier to say, I've done enough. Don't give me crosses and repentance. We're in the Christmas season now. I need, what are those, sugar plums, etc. Time to rest. That also is the way of the foolish virgins. But you may notice that we do, in a sense, get our oil, our faith, from someone else. You cannot, for example, only sit at home by yourself with your Bible and expect your faith to remain healthy. As a matter of fact, that's how most heresies are born. Christ, the bridegroom, has sent a man in your midst to preach and teach and bring you the sacraments and to feed you his supper. He has put this man here to absolve your sins. All these things fill up the oil in your lamp, meaning grace free things I've been called to give you. Also, Christ gives you brothers, sisters, and in this church, in our church's polity, elders who often encourage you with the hope of the bridegroom. They also help you. They are also your neighbors. They also bring oil. Yet it is not enough to hear and not take heart It is not enough to plop yourself in a pew and... I've seen it. Don't laugh. I know I'm not that exciting. But someone ignoring his voice, even if he hears the sound waves in his ears, should not expect the bridegroom to acknowledge him on the last day in the same way. This is getting back to our Bible saying. I keep coming back to it. Luther is saying... You know, the Ten Commandments are important, not for the reason you've been sold on, that they will bring you salvation, but they're important because they're God's Word. They're important because they give you the structure in your life. Your neighbor appreciates it when you don't steal. Your spouse is better when you don't cheat. Your community is better when you don't lie. And sitting there worrying about coveting what your neighbor has is taking your mind away from who? From Jesus. So when we say, when, well, the Ten Commandments don't save you, duh! 
but they do bring about goodness in your community. They do bring about cohesiveness because you're all saying, you're right, I do believe God is right. But this should remind us that we are without excuse. If we are getting oil without cost, which is what, how Christ gives it to you, could we justify our laziness if we just let our lamps go empty? If we find that we have been doing so only in the course of action, the only course of action when we find this is to repent, to turn away and seek the bridegroom's mercy. On any day before the last, he will be merciful. He doesn't go, well, you had 41 bad days this year. So there is still time for us all on this last day of the church year. The Spirit is the one that fills your lamp. You cannot buy your own work, keep it full. But he is gracious and kind to keep us prepared for the bridegroom. Again, the gaslight is red, and you're going, I got this. Even driving to the gas station, I'm not a petroleum engineer, but I thank God for gas stations, because they fill my car with what it needs. Without the lamp lit with oil, we would be lost in darkness. We would go through the external motions of our religion, but have no genuine faith if I was just up here trying to tell you how to be better people, how to have your best life now, rather than to say, Christ for you. You see, when the Spirit works through the Word to help you, then the lamp of our faith burns brightly a light to light the way to the eternal feast. For this reason, the bridegroom suffered in unnatural darkness upon Calvary. So we need fear no darkness. The Lord has lit the way for us to the eternal banquet hall. There he has earned for us an eternity of wonders and delights better than anything you can experience here. All this because the bridegroom has suffered for you. He faced death and hell for you. After all, you are not merely the virgins who accompany the bride to the wedding. You are the bride. You are the church. You're the one the Bible's talking about. For whom the bride, for whom the bridegroom was willing to suffer all things, even death on a cross. His love for you is unimaginably great. The most loving earthly bridegroom is only a pale shadow of the heavenly bridegroom. For those of us who are husbands, we are just a pale shadow. We are not the people that Christ is. But we are meant to be a pointer to him. Even when we were enemies, he gave us his life to cleanse us, his bride. He counted all suffering as nothing compared to the glory of winning eternal life for you. So you cannot buy faith with anything we could ever possess. 
But Christ, our dear bridegroom, has purchased all things for you, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Our love is not equal to his. But now his spirit begins to give you a fiery love like his. You begin to count no cost. We begin to love with purity since he first loved you. So you begin to be like the bridegroom. As his friends, we imitate him. Although this imitation, as I was speaking to the husbands just a moment ago, is imperfect in this life, it will be perfect when we reach the heavenly banquet. When we rest in eternity, we will be like him. This also he has purchased for us. Let us rejoice and love our bridegroom and seek his voice by the grace of his spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And on this last day of the church year, let us confess our faith as found in the words of our baptismal creed, the Apostles' Creed, found on page 207. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. 